The Truth News Network. When the media spread their web of lies, you need a guide to walk you through the labyrinth. His name is Newman. Dan Newman. Hello there. I'm Dan Newman. (laughs) Thank you, first of all, for joining us today. It's a big, big day. Every Tuesday is a big, big day now, especially since our intelligence journalist, Steve Baker, will join us at the top of our second hour. Got a lot to talk about with Steve, but we have much to get into before Steve joins us. And so we're going to look at what's the big kahuna today. What's number one on your important list regarding our nation, regarding our government, and all those who serve in it? Think about that for a second, and I'll tell you which is the most important to me. There are a lot of things happening. There always are. We have the State of the Union address, the second one for this president, Joe Biden, and there are lots of expectations about what we're going to hear and who's going to be in the room And of course, the White House always puts the script for any big speech like this that any president is about to do. They put that script out. Is tonight's State of the Union message script? Has it been disseminated to the media? We'll talk about that too. And Steve Baker, when he gets here, we're going to push Balloon Gate back to the second hour. Why? Steve has some thoughts on that. Steve Baker is very connected in Washington, D.C., and he may have something, something big, actually monumental to speak to us about, but he and I are going to get into the yays and nays about Joe Biden's balloon gate, and there's much more to it than we have been told. And yes, there are a bunch of conspiracy theories out there. We're going to ignore the conspiracies or the alleged conspiracies, and we're going to get to the meat of the matter. So we have a big, big day for you. And first on our lineup today is our brand new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California. Very unusual, but late yesterday, Kevin McCarthy, he gave a pre-State of the Union message, and we captured that for you. So Steve's going to join us in just a moment. Steve Scalise? No, Steve Baker. Uh, in about 55 minutes, he'll join us here. But before we get to McCarthy, I haven't said anything musically about ZZ Top. How many of you know ZZ Top? Raise your hand. ZZ Top is one of the greatest rock bands. I mean rock bands, not hardcore, headbanging rock, but rock that played instruments very well, small group, four guys in the group, and they could, I mean, they could blow it up. They were together forever and ever and ever, and all but one of them were still together. That being said, one of their big, big hits. We've never played it on this show. And for those of you newbies, you know that at the top of the show, right after our intro, we've given you a little settle down, calm down song before we get into the meat of the day. (laughs) No one would ever call ZZ Top anything they do a calm down song. (laughs) Rumors spreading around in that Texas town 
about to check outside the game. You know what I'm talking about. Just let me know if you wanna go to that home out on the range. They got a lot of nice girls. text, ZZ Top, as great as they are, and as famous as they are, will not play another ZZ Top song at the top of the first hour of our show. Well, if you joined us during the song, you maybe thought you were listening to a hard rock radio station uh, on Sirius FM or in your town where you live. 
But no, you're listening to TNN Live. You know that conservative talk show? <laughs> ZZ Top and LaGrange, not so conservative, I've got to admit. So our buddy Steve Baker, do you know that Steve is a very accomplished musician, a trumpeter? He plays in a band. He's done it for years. He's one of those guys that is a man of many talents, and uh, I'm sure he, I know he's listening. He always does on Tuesday, getting prepped for the second hour of our show. I'm sure he was tapping his foot (laughs) to ZZ Top. So I told you we were going to get right down to business. Very unusual, but the House Speaker did a pre-State of the Union address yesterday evening, and I didn't hear a lot about it on any media outlet. A couple of them mentioned it, but I didn't see anybody playing it, and I thought it was important for us to know what the leader of the Republican Party and the Speaker of the House has to say about the State of the Union. I'll let Kevin McCarthy tell you himself. I have the honor of serving as the Speaker of the House. Tonight, however, I stand before you not only as a Speaker, I speak to you as a father, a former small business owner, and a taxpayer. And like many of you, I worry about a future that feels less secure than it should. A lot has changed in recent years. Our southern border was once secure. Now the number of illegal immigrants who cross our border in just two years easily exceeds the population of 25 states. Americans are getting hammered by high prices. Today, nearly two-thirds of all Americans are living paycheck to paycheck struggling to make ends meet. Meanwhile, China is infiltrating our culture, our farmland, and our skies because they see us as weak. This is not sustainable. But of all the dangers we face, the greatest threat to our future is our national debt. You deserve the truth. So let's start with the facts. Our national debt is high, too high, and the problem is getting worse, not better. We are now $31 trillion in debt. That is more than the size of the entire American economy, 20% more. Our debt is now a greater burden than it has been at any time since World War II. If we continue down this path, In the next 10 years, we will spend over $8 trillion just on interest. That's more than the entire federal budget this year by a lot. That is neither affordable nor sustainable. When debt is too high, inflation is the result. That is where we are today. Inflation has exploded. Mortgage rates have doubled. Working Americans, after inflation and taxes, have gotten a pay cut. And eggs, a staple of America's breakfast, have gone from a cheap source of protein to a luxury good. Like many Americans, you may be wondering, how did we get here? Yes, our nation has taken on debt for most of its history, 
But the last few years have been different. Washington fell for a financial fad, a fiscal fraud, that the national debt doesn't matter, that money can always be created out of thin air to pay for it, and that the solution to higher prices is higher taxes. For years, we've watched as Democrats in Congress spent your hard-earned tax dollars like the dollars were imaginary. Thanks to four years of runaway spending by the Democrats, they increased annual discretionary spending by $400 billion. That's a 30% increase in just four years. They took our nation's credit card, spent like crazy, and left us in deep debt. But not once did they seek or accept any responsibility. Instead, they doubled down. In 2021, Democrats passed the largest debt limit increase in American history. Then they maxed our nation's credit cards again just 13 months later. Now, President Biden wants Congress to raise the debt limit yet again without a single sensible change to how government spends your hard-earned money. None. Does that sound responsible to you? Now, if you had teenagers and they spent past the limit on a credit card, yes, you pay for it. But, now this is important, you don't allow their bad spending habits to continue. You change their behavior so it never happens again. You teach them to be sensible, responsible, and accountable adults. Well, I think I speak for most Americans when I say, it's time for Washington to change its behavior and act like adults. Ninety days ago, the American people chose to give Republicans power in the House of Representatives because we are committed to finding solutions that curb inflation. At its source, wasteful Washington spending. We are already changing the behavior of this government. The runaway spending of the last few years, it's over. Now we must return Washington to a basic truth. Debt matters. The debt limit is one of the most important opportunities Congress has to change course. How will we respond to determine what happens to our children and to their children in coming years and decades? The choice is clear. We can have reckless spending or we can have responsibility. We cannot have both. We can leave our children a future with higher inflation, higher interest rates, and crushing debt, or we can leave them free to pursue happiness as God intended. What Americans want and what Republicans are fighting for is a responsible debt limit increase that puts us on a path towards a healthier economy. We will curve wasteful Washington spending to reduce inflation and return our government to fiscal sanity. We will preserve our ability to defend this nation against threats abroad. Cuts to Medicare and Social Security, they are off the table. Defaulting on our debt is not an option. But neither is a future of higher taxes, higher interest rates, and an economy that doesn't work for working Americans.
Debt limit debates have been used for nearly every successful attempt to reform federal spending in living history. Why? Because the problem only gets solved when both parties come to the table. But don't just take my word for it. Here's what then Vice President Biden said when he negotiated a debt limit increase with House Republicans in 2011. You can't govern without negotiating, he said. Those are his words. That's what his sensible standard. And House Republicans are following it now. Mr. President, it's time to get to work. Surely we both agree that the national debt is too high. Surely we both agree that inflation hurts American families. Surely we can trim waste and streamline programs to make them both stronger and more efficient. So let's do this. As a senator, you voted against raising the debt ceiling, Mr. President. To quote your words, your vote in 2004 was a protest of the policies that have brought us to a point and a demand that we change course. We need a different approach. No drawing lines in the sand or saying it's my way or the highway. No policy gimmicks or political games. But most of all, no blank checks for runaway spending. Just sensible, responsible solutions to our growing national debt. Now here are mine. First, we will continue to sit down and negotiate, just as President Biden did in the past. Second, we must commit to finding common ground on a responsible debt limit increase. Finding compromise is exactly how governing in America is supposed to work, and exactly what the American people voted for just three months ago. Third, we must move towards a balanced budget and insist on genuine accountability for every dollar we spend. Future generations deserve nothing less. A responsible debt limit increase that begins to eliminate wasteful Washington spending and puts us on a path towards a balanced budget is not only the right place to start, it's the only place to start. My fellow Americans, I cannot stand still in the face of a growing national debt and diminishing economic opportunities. My colleagues and I in Congress were elected at this moment in time to restore your voice in Washington and to deliver the bright future you want, need, and deserve, not only for you, but for your children and their children. We will not let you down. Mr. President, congressional Republicans are ready to act, to save our country, and to make America stronger. I hope you will join us. Thank you, and God bless. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, that was his pre-State of the Union address that he delivered yesterday evening. Now, let me just weigh in a little bit with my opinion on this. I know that'll shock you. He said some very salient things that were pretty much selling points to the American public. He said the choice is clear. We can have reckless spending or we can have responsibility. 
but we can't have both. We can leave our children a future with higher inflation, higher interest rates, and crushing debt, or we can leave them free to pursue happiness as God intended. That paragraph is a very polished Washington, D.C. talking point. He said, we can have reckless spending. Well, we do, Mr. Speaker. We can have responsibility. We don't, Mr. Speaker, but we can't have both. We have both right now in D.C. And reckless spending, lack of responsibility, it doesn't have a big D on its cap that it's wearing. It has big D slash big R. Our government spends money like they have it, and they don't. Now, let me tell you what nobody is telling you, and what I'm about to tell you, you may never have thought of. How long have you and your jobs, all the way back to the beginning of your working career, have you had Medicare taken out of every paycheck, Social Security taken out of every paycheck? Those are real investments that you've made into your retirement. You understand that. None of that money is borrowed. You didn't borrow it. It's something that you don't expect to ever pay back, but you're going to get the results of it. After you retire, you get to 63, 65, 70, whenever you retire, and every month you're going to get a check from Social Security. Also, you're going to be able to enroll in Medicare, which regardless of what anybody says, it's a really good program. But nevertheless, you have put your money in those things. Now, let me tell you what Mr. McCarthy didn't tell you. Have you ever heard of unfunded liabilities? All we hear about our national debt every day, $31 trillion. It's unsustainable. We've got to get back to a balanced budget. I am tired of hearing that cry. It only comes in um, patriot circumstances or campaigns for elections. We need a balanced budget. We can't afford to keep spending money that we don't have, yet they do it. We've been in deficit spending for decades now. If they thought that they have sold the idea of a balanced budget to the American people and that we trust our government to balance a budget, they don't think that. It's nothing more than a talking point at campaign times. Could they do it? Absolutely. There have been dozens of plans that have been put on the table throughout the years, and all it would take would be a little responsibility. But let me just say this. I think I told you a long time ago, when I lived in Northeast Louisiana, my boss, he gambled a lot on football and baseball. And he had a bookie named J.R. And um, a couple of times, J.R. lived about 20 miles from the dealership in which I worked. And my boss won some big money. And I was going to town, that town 20 miles away. And he said, run by J.R.'s house and pick up my money, if you don't mind. I said, no, I don't mind. And so one time I got into a conversation with J.R. I do know this. He was, at that time, the biggest bookie in North Louisiana. 
So bookies have a lot of cash coming in and going out. And I went to JR's house. He didn't put his money in the bank for obvious reasons. So he had to keep it somewhere. And I told him when I was sitting there, he was talking on the phone. And I said, listen, you've got a lot of cash flow going on. How do you keep your money safe? And he said, I keep it in my gar hole. Gar hole, gar, G-A-R, as in the fish, gar. And if you don't know anything about gars, they are massively long, big fish. They are terrors in freshwater places. South Louisiana has them everywhere. And I mean, they have big teeth. They're ugly looking, pretty scary to catch one. But what they do when they catch a prey and they don't want to eat it right then, they have a hole somewhere underwater where they stash it to keep it for a rainy day. That's what Jr. had. He had a place. I didn't ask him where it was. I wouldn't want to know. I certainly wouldn't want to be held responsible if something happened to him. But nevertheless, the U.S. government doesn't understand that philosophy. Now, let's go back to the Medicare and Social Security segment that I was referencing. You've paid into that for years. I've paid into it for, gosh, I don't know, 55, 56 years. Some years, many years, thank God, I paid over, uh, I paid the maximum amount that one can be paid into Social Security, which meant I made more money. But nevertheless, I spent the max and put it in there. I should have a great Medicare and Social Security account in Washington, D.C. There's not one. They don't exist. So the unfunded liability thing I mentioned, just estimating. No way to check it. At least I don't have a way to check it. All that money that you paid into your Social Security account, you paid into your Medicare account for the future. If you were really investing it like they tell us that we are, there would be a bank account somewhere that would hold Medicare funds and Social Security funds. It disappeared years ago. There is no account. Every dime of Social Security and Medicare money that is paid out, it's borrowed money. So what is unfunded liabilities? Our government doesn't have what they should have in the bank that you and I have paid in all these years so that we can access those accounts when we turn 65 or whatever age we enroll in Social Security and Medicare. It's not there. So how much money do they owe Americans that have been put away? Conservative estimates are $150 trillion dollars. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking at a company to buy and you find a company, what are the things you want to see? You want to see their actual bank statements. You want to see at least one year worth of profit and loss. And you want to see their balance sheet, a balance sheet. If you don't know what it is, basically, it's a way your accountant keeps up with the assets you have and the debt that you have. And at the bottom, it's supposed to be in the plus 
side. The United States balance sheet, it's in the neighborhood of 200 and something trillion dollars. Now, why am I telling you all this? You heard Kevin McCarthy. It was a good speech. I will say this. His people let him really do a stupid thing. He sounded like he was talking uh, in an empty swimming pool in an old gym. The echo was horrible. It doesn't take a lot to make it seem a little bit better than it really is. He's the Speaker of the House. He's the number two man after Kamala Harris, he's number one, to replace this president if something should happen. He's a pretty important guy in a pretty important position. He needs to sound and look that way. Just thought I'd throw that in. McCarthy, the book is still out on if he's going to be a good Speaker of the House. Said a lot of wonderful things. Promised a lot of wonderful things to people like you and me. Will he perform? That's not the big question. The big question is, and I want you to think about this, can he perform? I think everybody understands if any Speaker of the House had unilateral power to do whatever he or she wanted to do, they could get a lot done. And in many cases, they do. Nancy Pelosi, case in point. She put a lot of money in a lot of people's pockets by manipulating the system for them and for she and her husband, Paul. She entered Congress, and they weren't even millionaires at the time. The estimates of what their worth is is close to $300 million now. How does one get to that point? Just from serving and getting a check every year that's about $170,000 for the job you do. You may live a little better life than most Americans do, but you're not a multi-millionaire. You take the power and the position you are working in and you manipulate it for yourself at the same time. You're going to manipulate it for people around you in your circle. We're in a bad place in this government right now. And listen, I don't care if we had, we being conservatives, again, I, I, as a disclaimer, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a registered independent. We, when I say that, I mean conservatives. If we had a huge margin in the House and across the Capitol building in the Senate, we still couldn't get this ship righted. It's going to take at least a decade of the kind of economic responsibility and improvements that we had under the four years of Donald Trump, minimum a decade. And included in that decade would be the requirement that we take away all the wasteful spending, all the cheating, all of the gross misrepresentations coming out of pretty much every office in Washington, D.C., And give us the facts every day. Give us the facts. Tell us how bad it really is and quit glossing it over. We don't need any more political pontification. And we need you guys to stop spending money we don't have. Well, we have a budget. We have all these responsibilities. Hey, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. He talked about a balanced budget. 
There is no way he can in the House of Representatives with only a four-seat majority. There's no way he can implement the necessary laws and budget operation ideas that would be necessary to reach a balanced budget. And then he got to deal with the Senate over there. Chuck Schumer, hey, he's Nancy Pelosi on steroids when it comes to spending and finding ways to make money for your buddies. So why do we need to spend so much money? Why? Are they spending it on you? They certainly aren't spending it on me. Let me give you an example of how nutty this whole thing is in the political system in D.C. Let's go back a year or so to those big government COVID-19 giveaways. Do you know that of the money that was allocated to different causes, different segments in our society, including public education, things like that, just one little snippet area of it, there's $900 billion sitting unspent on COVID relief. It was revealed yesterday that President Biden diverted almost a trillion of the COVID funds to take care of, at least in part take care of our problem at our southern border, spending it on illegal aliens that came into the United States. There are many people that will say that's illegal. Congress is the only entity that can spend taxpayer money, technically, and all spending needs to come through the House of Representatives. And it did. And the money was earmarked for this and that. If you read those huge bills that were put out there, in some cases close to 10,000 pages of details of the spending stuff that was going on, you would see it was this amount of money for this cause, this amount of money for that cause, this amount of money earmarked to go to this entity and that entity. It's all supposed to happen. Just as Congress, the House approved it first, it went to the Senate, they approved it, it comes back, they reconcile what little differences they had, and it goes to the president to sign it into law. Once it's law, it's law. Nobody, including any president, has the authority to go against the laws that are passed by the people's representatives. Joe Biden knows that, and yet he gets out there with his pen And he's got over 150 executive orders. He has spent billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars of our tax money with no authority to do it. And he's not checked. Oh, there are people like us that get up and say, it's time to stop the spending. Kevin McCarthy, you just heard him blast Biden for the reckless spending. And we've got to stop being restless and just sit down and make decisions based on facts rather than based on obligations to spend money here and spend money there. We have over a hundred trillion unfunded liabilities today. 
and there's no end in sight. I don't see it getting straight anytime soon. McCarthy's president State of the Union speech, it's a stunt. A stunt that former Speaker Nancy Pelosi pulled at the end of Trump's final State of the Union speech. Now, tonight, McCarthy's going to sit with Vice President Kamala Harris behind Biden during the State of the Union address. I don't believe in the theatrics of tearing up speeches McCarthy said in a video yesterday. I respect the other side. I can disagree on policy. But I want to make sure this country is stronger, economically sound, energy independent, secure, and accountable. That all sounds good. But you can't just take that paragraph or this sentence. But I want to make sure this country is stronger, economically sound, energy independent, secure, and accountable. When's the last time there was a majority Republican-controlled House of Representatives? And what was Kevin McCarthy's role in it? I will say this. I've gone back and looked. I don't know of a single speech he made, a single piece of legislation he's ever offered to cut expenses of the government in any way. Now, if you cut spending, what do you have to do? There are parts of what you've been spending it on that you can't spend it on those anymore. You have to cut the volume, the amount of money you're spending on things. You have to cut first the wasteful spending. You live in a two-story house. You have an old-timey bathtub upstairs, you know, the claw feet that are down. We had one in a house we built, it was an antique. It was gorgeous, beautiful. But it was old. And so one day, you're on the first floor and you look up and the ceiling above you has got water spots and as you watch it, water starts dripping down. So what do you do? You run upstairs to see what's going on. And this bathtub is leaking, it's overflowing And water's all over the floor, and it's leaking through the floor upstairs into the ceiling. It's about to blow the ceiling out on the first floor below this bathtub. So how do you fix it? What do you do? Well, let me tell you what Congress does. They'll throw us some platitudes like, I want to make sure this country is stronger, economically sound, energy independent, secure, and accountable. Sounds great. That's what we do. We run upstairs with a bucket and we fill up a bucket and we run over to the shower stall and open the door and dump that water from the bathtub. We dump it in the shower and we continue to do that. And guess what? We leave the water running. We never think about turning the water off first. Spending cuts have to happen First, first, no difference than our southern border problem. It's insane to talk about securing our southern border without turning the water off first. We we just hear every day almost, we talk about the stupidity of what's happening at the southern border. You need to understand one thing. What's happening at the southern border? It's happening on purpose. 
This administration doesn't want the southern border shut. They don't want there to be a southern border. How can you say that, Dan? It's very simple. If Joe Biden wanted to abide by the rule of law, many of the parts of federal immigration laws that were put in place, he was a participant in crafting those laws and passing those laws as a United States senator. He subscribed in his oath of office that he was going to protect and defend the Constitution and make sure all the laws were being, federal laws were being handled and everybody that broke those laws was being held accountable. That's nothing but a paragraph out of a speech. His administration has no plans to turn the water off. And if they do anything, they run over and pick up their bucket, get a, a bucket full of water out of the out of the tub and go over and pour it out in the shower stall. Meanwhile, the water still runs. There are lots of other things going on that make absolutely no sense, and many of those things sound good. Oh, my gosh. Some of the greatest speechwriters in the world live in D.C., I, I know one former speechwriter for Ronald Reagan, and he said he was in a, a circle of guys and girls up in D.C., and they were all professional speechwriters, and they wrote speeches for candidates on both sides of the political spectrum, and they would laugh at each other. They would laugh at the speeches that they were preparing because it was little more than pontification on both sides of the aisle. It's like, hey, if you can make it sound good, it doesn't matter if there's any substance behind it. Mr. Speaker, I'm Dan. I live in Shreveport, Louisiana. I'm an entrepreneur. I work hard. I've got great results in my past by working hard. I'm 69 years old, and I want you to begin to do the things you tell us you're going to do. And if you don't have the authority to do them and can't get those in the Congress that you lead to work with you, you still, you still need to try to do it. People laugh at Donald Trump. He's, I guess he's one of the most narcissistic people in politics I've ever known. All that being said, I don't like his messaging. I don't like his methodology in many cases. But what I do like is the results of what he did for four years. He was the only candidate in my lifetime that I can remember that all of those campaign promises they make, he's the only one I can remember that got every one of them done except the ones that he couldn't do alone and he couldn't get Congress to go along with them. We need more people that govern that way, not the politically correct way, not the pontificating way. And if we don't get there, let me just tell you, all these conversations about, oh, we've got to cut the budget. We're not going to, we're not going to do anything with Medicare and Social Security. Oh, my gosh, we're not going to touch it. But we're going to cut. Well, where the heck are you going to cut, Mr. Speaker? I haven't seen your budget. 
The Congress is supposed to prepare a budget for every fiscal year. Where's the budget coming out of this Republican Party? Stop the pontificating and start governing. And just one final note on that. Mr. McCarthy, you're not a great speech giver. You're not Ronald Reagan. You may should rethink doing that next time. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 six-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I call the EMT? Turkey breast $3.99. How much? $3.99. $3.99. Bingo! Time of participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Go somewhere else. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. Welcome to TNN Live. For you that are first-timers or you come and go, you're not here every day, let me just say this. You need to quit missing what happens on this show. And much of what is done here is kept saved in perpetuity. This show, just minutes after it, uh, the live show is over, it becomes a podcast, and there are 37 podcast hosting outlets for you to go get every one of these shows. Every show TNN Live has ever done, you can get it on any one of these podcast sites. We started something the other day, and let me just say this. Every podcast, we publish a story every day. Some days, maybe it's a little slow, maybe a Saturday or a Sunday we don't post. Not Well, we post every Saturday. We have our bullet point offering, which is our most read, every weekly most read scattering of stories. All that being said, we're posting every day now the TNN Live show from yesterday, and it's posted at truthnewsnet.org. So you'll be able to go grab this podcast there. If you don't want to spend a dime, I don't know how you handle your podcast 
um, subscriptions. If you have an iPhone, it comes with a uh, iPhone podcast app that you can just click on and go to their podcast stuff. Spotify has the same thing. I'm not sure how that works, but if you want to just make it simple and make sure you don't miss, go every day to truthnewsnet.org and just grab the podcast before. Now, I know they're two hours long. It's hard for me to even think about sitting and listening to anything for two hours in a row, but it's a podcast. You can listen to part of it now. Anytime you're in a car going somewhere, it's a great time to catch up on things. We do that here. Now, what we haven't talked about today is balloon gate. Joe Biden's balloon gate. Let, let me just say this. I almost spit my teeth out yesterday when I started hearing many in the Biden administration saying, well, Donald Trump, there were three that came across the nation when he was president and he didn't do anything about it. We did. <laughs> when I was a kid, anytime I got in big trouble with my mother, especially about things that happened that were wrong when I was with my friends in the neighborhood. Why did you do that, Danny? Well, Mom, everybody else was doing it. You know what my mom's reply was always? If all your friends jump off the bridge, are you going to jump off the bridge and die with them just because they jumped off the bridge? And that's what was happening yesterday. We're going to get into the balloon stuff when uh, Steve Baker comes and joins us in about 10 or 15 minutes. But we've got to become, once again, the greatest nation on the planet. And it can't happen with just one little issue being fixed. But we can fix the majority of them in every four-year administration if whoever sits at the top is not just talking about doing the good stuff to fix it, takes actions, implements whatever actions are necessary to fix it. You know when our government began to fail? And it's a long time ago. It's way before you and I lived. It was when some representative from some little town out in the middle of nowhere, he got chosen to be a member of that particular congressional district by his fellow residents in that little town or village. And so he went to Washington, D.C. and spent two years in the United States Congress purportedly representing those people in those villages and towns. Now, let's call him Tom. Tom sat in Congress next to, uh, let's call it Brad. And Brad was from New York City. So Tom and Brad, they sat together. Both of them had the same power in the vote. They represented the same number of voters. And both Brad and Tom were there to represent the needs, the desires, and the wants of the people in their district. But then Tom started looking at Bart, looking at New York City, and he started listening, Brad or Bart, whoever I named him, the New York City guy. He started listening to what he was doing, what his party was doing in every particular area of life for the United States and the Americans. 
And it all centered around one thing, money, money. Now, Tom, that wasn't a big deal in his town. They had some things that they wanted help from the federal government and needed help. They wanted that, but he started looking at the big dollars, the dollar signs. When did that first happen? When those people began to govern, not exclusively for the people that live in their districts. It wasn't long after Congress was founded. Congress and its structure has been manipulated in so many ways by so many people through the years. Do you realize senators, constitutionally, they weren't elected at the beginning of our government. They were each appointed by state governors. Senators were supposed to be the go-between the states in the union and the United States government to make sure those senators were given a voice to represent everything and everybody in their respective states. House of Representatives, as you know, it was two years, and it was structured that way so that there would be some great citizen who would volunteer to go to D.C., give up his little business or hand it off to somebody else to run, but he or she would go up there and represent the people in their little town or village. And then after two years of doing just that, they would come back, somebody else would go. And then all of a sudden, they figured out what campaigning could do. Oh my gosh, they could reach everybody in their districts and make sure everybody in their district knew what they were up to, what they had done, and what they were going to do if they got elected to go back. And so that began to grow, and campaigning just went nuts. People found out what quid pro quo really was. Hey, I'll vote for you. If we elect you, you'll do this for me. And the flip of that was just as bad. Hey, I'm going to Congress. If you want me to be there to represent you and do these things for you, you better vote for me and not that person. Senators started looking at that, and they said, wow, what a way to accumulate a lot of money and control a lot of money and have a lot of power over people. They converted the process of choosing senators to be elected. And all of a sudden, we have a government united. <laughs> Quid pro quo. Give me something, mister. I will, but you got to do this for me. That's the way government runs. And now, it's at every level. Top to bottom. Federal, state, local. It's all run the same way. If you see any evil out there, if anything is questionable that's going on in any level of those governments, what should be the first thing that you do? Find the source of the money involved in it. Why would I have to do that, Dan? I mean, I can see, I can know what's going on. I can read legislation. Yeah, that is important to do. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money. The love of money is the root of all evil. If you really want to find out what kind of plant that is, you can always go look at the root. 
That's the foundation. That's where everything grows from in that plant. The love of money is the root of all evil. Find the money. If there's anything questionable, it's not easily confirmed as being a righteous bill, a righteous proposed law, government spending of any kind. Follow the money before and after. I'm just saying. A couple of other little things we want to get into before we... uh, get with old Stevie boy who's coming in. Sadly, a 57-year-old grandma was murdered in Texas, and an illegal alien has been charged with that murder happening in Lamarck. Carlos Lara Balcazar, 34-year-old illegal, was arrested, charged in Texas with murdering Maria Rios, a 57-year-old mother of three, and grandmother of four. Now, what happened? Well, according to the cops in Lamar, Laura Balcazar had initially been charged with evidence tampering in connections to Rios' murder. Laura Balcazar, though, has since been charged with her murder after cops claim evidence in a nearby dumpster made them their prime suspect. One of Rios' daughters, Cynthia Espindola, told a news outlet, Her mother loved everyone and was the voice of the family. The one that got the family together. I just can't believe that somebody could be that evil to do something to a woman who just didn't deserve it. He's being held at the Galveston County Jail where the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency has put a detainer on him. And the detainer requested if Lara Balcazar is released from local custody at any time, he will be turned over to ICE agents for arrest and deportation. uh, Why are you talking about that in the middle of what is going on nationwide? You're supposed to be a national news outlet full of uh, opinions and all that kind of stuff. Well, you're always going to get the opinions here, but you're going to get facts. The reason I brought that up, in the context of what we're dealing with today at our southern border, do you know that in just two years, 2018 and 2019, in the state of Texas only, there were 600,000 criminal acts that were caught and prosecuted against those who did those acts on Texans in Texas. 600,000. How many grandmothers like this were included in that? Well, those 600,000 criminal acts included first-degree murder, second-degree murder, all kinds of things, everything on the low end of breaking and entering to first-degree murder. You don't hear about that. You don't hear about these. this little grandmother that was murdered by an illegal alien. Oh, man, two million came in during the Biden administration. That's no big deal. The United States can absorb that. Just during the Biden administration, he has opened the gate and waved two million through. Actually, even more than that, almost double that when you factor in the gotaways. So let's say it's three and a half million. That number that has come in in the two years of the Biden administration is more than the populations 
of 25 states. Smoke on that a little bit. Let's see if we can get Steve on the phone. Mr. Dan. Mr. Baker, how are you today, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Have you been listening this morning? I have. I have uh, heard the entire show today, which is kind of rare for me, but I was uh, sitting here in my hotel room and turned off the uh, the news on the, the boob tube and turned into Dan Newman. <laughs> well, you're better, you're better off now because you did. <laughs> If you, did, if you didn't learn anything in the first hour of the show, you learned how I feel about it all. <laughs> well, and I learned how your listeners feel about ZZ Top, so that, it, you know, that was a little disappointing. But. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're a great <laughs> musician. We come from the same era. I'm a keyboard guy, and we both played in bands. I did. You still do. Um, yeah. ZZ Top. I don't want to go off on ZZ Top, but, you know, for no, four guys— for four guys, they were epic in their years. You got to admit that. Yeah, you better not go off on those guys right now. No, no. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we got a lot of things going on on the national level. Do you have any thoughts of your own about the expected State of the Union address tonight? Well, I, I look, Dan. We're talking about Biden, right? So they're going to they're going to pump him up with enough uh, B12 shots and whatever uh, memory drugs uh, that uh, they have from uh, Pfizer and Moderna. <laughs> and they're going to they're going to roll him out there on the stage. He'll have just enough time before the effects of those uh, chemicals wear off to get him through this speech. <laughs> it'll probably it'll probably be well delivered uh, because they'll have him completely prepped and they'll have him as I said uh chemically uh, uh, enhanced, but you know, there's nothing going to come from this that we don't already know from this man, this administration and whoever his puppet masters are. We know what the agenda is. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty well uh, set in stone at this point. Everything is gearing towards two primary things and both of them scare me to death. We are looking at uh, a worldwide economy based upon the fiction of this man-induced climate change. Uh, and then we are also looking at the subsequent uh, part of that economy being the centralization, globalization, and digitalization of our currencies so that they can they can uh, literally control what we do, where we go, and uh, who we can talk to. I mean, I'm sitting here in D.C. right now and just uh, amazed that I can still navigate, considering what I'm working on, uh, and and do so with you know with my bank cards, my credit cards, and paying for hotels and Ubers and meals and stuff like that. Because as soon as they digitize this, Dan, they just will cut that off, and I won't be able to do what I'm doing. You think they're going to let me investigate them when they have control of my bank account? I got to be totally honest with you. I can't I can't believe that you're not behind bars and that you haven't been behind bars for all that you were involved in on January 6th. You're one of those uh, insurrectionists. You were there. They saw you. They captured you on video, videoing them. That makes you an evil guy. That means you've got to be a MAGA Republican. 
you know, that's that's probably the only reason that I am actually not I have not been arrested, haven't been prosecuted, as as many of your listeners know. I have been interviewed by the FBI and I have been threatened by a U.S. attorney. In fact, my attorney was told uh, last Thanksgiving, uh, to, well, not this past one, a uh, year, year plus ago, uh, 2021, that I would be charged within the week. And that was 14 months ago, and I still have not been charged. But I think part of the reason, there's probably five or six uh, force fields that I have up around me right now. But one of those reasons is the fact that I probably was not in D.C. that day as a MAGA, you know, flag waving Trump Republican. That's I'm I'm not. I'm I'm not a member of any party. I'm a what you would call a small L constitutional libertarian of uh, political philosophy. And in my own FBI interview. Uh, I told, you know, told them very uh, clearly that I would have had just as big a problem with what happened uh, that day had it been um, a, a Democrat in the House uh, or in the White House as it would have been a Republican. It didn't matter to me. I was there to cover the event as a journalist, and that's what I did. So I followed the story where the story went, and, and the story went inside that building. So I followed it in there. Let's quickly segue to stuff. D.C., and you stuff there's some stuff brewing and i don't know what of it you can talk to us about or any of it but can you share anything anything new yeah let me give you the reader's digest condensed version for a couple reasons both to save time and to uh, uh keep myself out as much trouble as possible but uh, since we were last on uh the show together this has been probably the biggest week for me in terms of my personal investigations into all the things related to January 6th. And now we, we now know it's been over two years, Dan. It's hard to believe that. I mean, it seems like just a few weeks ago in my head, and it's probably because I live it daily, but it's been over two years. But just in the last week, I've had the uh, interview with the FBI whistleblower, Steve Friend. And, of course, you posted that on your website as well. Thank you. And that has gotten a lot of penetration into the right places. A lot of important people have heard it. That's part of the reason why I'm here today. And then last Thursday, I spent four and a half hours with another Capitol Police officer who's currently employed by the Capitol Police. Uh, obviously, uh, he's got to be remain uh, as an, an anonymous, unnamed source. But this is an individual who has some incredible stories to tell about what happened that day that make no sense whatsoever and are completely outside of the boundaries and typical modus operandi or, or operational procedures of the Capitol Police. And he truly believes, he adamantly believes that they were set up that day to fail. Um, I Gosh, I can't get into what maybe we'll come back if we have time. I can talk a little bit about his testimony without uh, giving away who he is. Well, give us, just, then, give us just a little bit so that I don't go over the edge, but tell us what you can. Yeah. I, I just have to be careful to not get into any particular details that would easily identify him. But let, let me just say this. Um, he happened to be part of a Capitol police unit who that, that was called in early that morning for unknown reasons, but that's not, atypical. Uh, their, their units can be called in for special events. There's going to be a big rally in town or a known protest or something to that effect. 
Well, when they when he arrived at 6.30 in the morning, and then they got their roll call briefing between 7 and 7.30, the captain who was giving the briefing told them that they would not be given a handout that day. Now, if, no, so your listeners understand, every single morning, without exception, when a Capitol Police officer goes in for his roll call or her roll call briefing that morning, whatever the briefing contains is is then handed to every single officer on the line in written form because it has the details of their assignments, where they've got to be, where they need to move, who they're going to be protecting. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a lot of information. So rather than expecting them to remember it, they get a printout 100% of the time. Just that's the thing. That's, that is the, that is the operational procedure of the Capitol police. On this particular morning, they were told they would not be receiving a handout because what they were about to be told was too sensitive. So obviously their ears pick up. This has never happened before. So the, the captain gives the briefing, and when the briefing was over, they all look at each other like, what, 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 what was that? There was nothing sensitive about it whatsoever. It sounded just to them like another day at the office. So they walk out of this briefing, scratching their heads, go about their, their morning routines, and then all of a sudden between twin, uh, 10 and 11 a.m., they are called by their sergeant to come to their um, meeting place and gather up their bags of their hard equipment. Now that's the, you know, that's like the uh, RoboCop suits, suits that you see, you know, the rag gear basically. So they're, they're called, they're told to gather up their bags and go get on the bus. And when they get on the bus, their sergeant tells them to put their bottoms on. That's the bottom half of their equipment, their hard gear. And then they take the bus and position it closer to the Capitol, and then they sit there for two hours. Now, understand, this has all happened between 10 and 11 a.m., but the first breach of the first outer barricade uh, where uh, Officer Carolyn Edwards was injured that morning at 10.52, and just coincidentally, within two minutes of that, two pipe bombs were discovered at RNC and DNC headquarters respectively then all of a sudden their radios go off squawking that they have a breach at the capitol and they need the hard units out on the west terrace so they were already there they were already positioned they'd been sitting on a bus for two hours with no knowledge of what was going on and then suddenly everything goes down probably dan as planned well they were prepared they were sitting on the bus waiting for the word to go and somebody above them had a plan and they were just implementing what whoever above them had given them to do when it was called to happen. Let me ask you this, right. without without revealing anything or getting you in trouble, do you believe that there is someone out there in the blogosphere, maybe somebody we know, maybe not, but there seems to me that all of this had to be coordinated and initiated if it's not by one person, a small group of people. Because there were too many things that came together that included too many people in too great a time and with too many people out there 
there has to be some type of coordination. Don't you agree? Well, there has to be, but as you know, the larger the group of conspirators are, the more difficult it is to contain the secret. And that is one of the things that we're struggling against right now is that there are aspects of this that if we, if we want to go full tinfoil hat on this, and, I, and you know I'm not predisposed to doing that, but if we wanted to go full tinfoil hat on this, like maybe we'll do about the weather balloon in a minute. <laughs> but the, uh, the point being is, is that it, it could be contained in this particular operation to a rather small group of individuals, tightly contained enough to keep it a secret. And the problem is, is, that, is that this event, Dan, is the single most recorded event in the history of the world. So what transpired that day, it's going to be tough to keep under wraps eventually. When we talk about this 14,000 hours worth of unreleased video, let me tell you what I just came into possession of yesterday. This was, now again, this is two years later. I came into possession of a sealed video marked highly sensitive by the Department of Justice showing three undercover Metro DC police. That's not the Capitol police. That's the actual city cops. They're in the, they're undercover. They're in the crowd on January 6th. They're chanting along with the crowd. And as the crowd is now surging from that West terrace up and underneath those um, scaffolding steps, which led to the first breached open door on the Northwest door of the Capitol, these three cops are actually encouraging to the crowd to move to the Capitol. This is part of the reason why these videos have not been released. Well, obviously. But I've got it. Yeah. But I've got it. Now. Okay, stop right there. Should you have just said that on this show? <laughs> I yes. I, I, I happen I, I, to look. I want them to. I happen to look. Some, and our friends in Langley have joined us, so they're hearing this. Yeah, well, those those guys in Langley also know that I've signed the protective order, so I have a legal right to see it. I just can't share it. I can talk about it. I can tell you what I saw. I just can't show you the video. Okay. So those cops, Metro cops, were integrated into the crowd. They're cheering the crowd, chanting, pointing them to go into the Capitol building yes okay your synopsis your thoughts about that well i expect that and again not going full tinfoil hat i expect that all of the major agencies and police forces had undercover operatives embedded in the crowd because that's the right thing to do if in fact they sure, had yeah. intelligence and we know they did that there was something going on that day, then they needed those types of resources in the crowd. But we also know that there were paid provocateurs because Sergeant at Arms, Michael Stinger, the late Michael Stinger, who was Sergeant of Arms at the Senate on January 6th, in his only congressional testimony in the four or five weeks after the event itself, he said that this is an opportunity for us to find out and investigate who those, and he said it, who those paid provocateurs were and find out where this money came from 
what they were paid to do because he saw it just like other of us, others of us who are analyzing this thing in great detail. He saw it with his own eyes as well. He knew he knew this wasn't just a crowd of disaffected MAGA uh, voters or Antifa or whatever. There was something else going on that day that gave clear indication to professional eyes of a coordinated effort to whip this crowd into a frenzy and then to direct that crowd with each movement that was made and each breach that was made that day. So, you know, that, that, with that being said, more and more of that evidence is coming out. And all of that has led to the reason why I'm here right now, which is, believe it or not, um, Sunday, I was actually asked if I would be interested in a position working for the new house committee uh, that has been uh, given the charter to investigate the weaponization of these three-letter agencies against law-abiding citizens. Obviously, <laughs> I'm incredibly interested in that. I'm not going to do it if it's just a you know another puppet organization or a kangaroo court type of investigative situation like the original house select committee was ran by Pelosi last year. But if it's the real thing and they're really interested in the truth, then I'm very interested. I hope you have um, some body armor with you. If you go, if you go down that road, (laughs) because you would be somebody that they would want to uh, not be doing those, those kind of things. You know, you, you go, you're like a, you're like a dog on a bone when it comes to this. You just won't let go of it, and you're going to keep after it until you figure it yeah. out. I haven't figured it out yet, but I told I told this individual who uh, is introducing me to, and I say this in parentheses, the group today. <laughs> in fact, Dan, it's, it's kind of hilarious, and I and I don't mind saying this. I, I I I think that daylight is is you know the greatest disinfectant, obviously. And so that's one of the reasons why I don't mind talking about some of these things. First of all, um, I think it actually protects me. The second thing is, is that if they do take me out, they create a thousand other of me in the process. I will become the, you know, the, the, the greatest conspiracy theory related to this thing uh, <laughs> that there would be if they try to take me out. And that'll just excite a lot of other people and put a lot of other rabid dogs on that bone. But, you know, when, when I got the, when I got the, the text yesterday telling me what time the appointment was and where we were to meet, basically the text said, and I'm, I have to leave out. So he says, meet me at the corner of blank street and something, something Avenue. And then I'll walk you over to meet the group. <laughs> so that's, that's the, the, the spy versus spy kind of fun that I'm having right now here. But, well, I, uh, I, I don't need to, I don't need to say this, but Whatever you'll be able to say, if uh, if it's something that is that big and that important that you can share, call me back before next Tuesday, and we'll yeah. go live with it. We'll put it out there. Here's what I think you need to think about while you're going down this road. The more light you shine on it, whatever it is, the more protection you have. And yes. uh, as you know, I have the personal cell phone numbers of a number of of really good people in Congress that have some power. If you get in a jam, make sure you let me know. 
Well, I, that group today will contain maybe some of those exact numbers. It will. I already know that. I'm just yeah. saying yeah. Uh, they they know me and our relationship, and that may be part of the reason why you got the phone call. You've also got a reputation up there. just want to say <laughs> they know you're there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's change our tinfoil hats as we got a few minutes left. I want to go into this China balloon debacle that's out there. I'm I'm, oh, en- man. I'm enjoying it. Dan, I'm enjoying Dan, this. Dan, don't take your tinfoil hat off for this. This is <laughs> this is. Uh, I mean, you got to keep it on for this. Well, I got a special <laughs> one for this one. You know, I've got two different right. tinfoil hats. What is <laughs> what is your opinion of what the heck is going on with this and the aftermath? I got to be honest with you. I I, I pop popcorn. And I sat to watch huh. it because it's like a movie to me. I just can't yeah. believe this kind of crud happens, even in the Biden administration. Go. It's it, I, I've got I've got uh, Fox TV on right now. Of course, I've got the, the, uh, the just on the screen here in my hotel room, and, it's, and, and the the sound is turned down. And that's and they're still going over it. I mean, I'm, I'm watching. I see the missile strike yet again. Now I'm seeing the boat, the fishing trawler that's recovering the the you know the balloon canvassing, and uh, so it, it it is it is it has captured everyone's imagination, and and obviously when I first became aware of it, um, I got a call. Well, actually, I got a message from my daughter, and she said, "Dad, are you paying attention?" And I and at the time I wasn't, so I turned on the news and. and got caught up real quick on what was happening. And so I started making inquiries among the, you know, the few um, knowledgeable type of sources that I, I respect and trust. And they had no more, they had no more uh, answers than what we're hearing debated or conjectured on television. And of course, all of those range from the wildest of conspiracy theories to just the basic, same old, same old political accusations the two parties um, throw out at each other. You've got one side uh, blaming Biden for endangering America by not shooting that thing down when it first crossed into our our territorial airspace in uh, Alaska. Uh, And then uh, you've got the other side now going, oh, but, but, but uh, Trump allowed three of them to cross our continent during his presidency. So, I mean, that kind of stuff I dismiss right out of hand, but let me, let me just, let me just say this before I kind of give you my idea about what's going on here. You remember Y2K got to go back to our conspiracy theories and our temple. All right. You remember Y2K? Sure. I, uh, I had a, at that time I had my company and we had computer networks and we were connected and worked every day for hospitals around the nation. So we had access to their computer systems. And of course they had Mm -hmm. access to ours and my it director, he spent the night at our facility to watch it, to just make sure nothing happened. And of course, if it did happen, what would we do? We didn't have any idea. (laughs) Right. Well, if you listened to a certain group of people and I was listening to them, a lot of people that I really respected, before Y2K, and they were telling us that the planes were going to drop out of the sky, satellites were going to crash to Earth because these chips would not be able to handle the date change, that they were not prepped, not programmed to handle the date change. 
That's the basic theory. And then, of course, your company's computers were going to crash or they would no longer be able to speak with the hospital's computers. That was the whole theory. So uh, actually, uh, one thing that, that gave credence to this notion that all of these computer chips were going to fail and then all of the related uh, components that run our lives and that we're, we're tapped into every day were going to fail was because big companies, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, American Express, I think that their, their own remediation budget was something like $5 billion. That yeah, was incredible. Was, they, yeah. yeah, they spent, so these big multinational companies and banking companies were spending millions of dollars to make sure that they didn't have this uh, alleged or proposed or conspiratorial problem with, with computers and with chips on the big date change uh, on midnight of uh, uh, <laughs> December 31st, 1999. And so what ended up happening is I was doing a speaking engagement up in Boston, and this was in the summer of 1999. I graduated from high school right there uh, at Parkway High School in Bossier City with a young lady who uh, was one of my best friends uh, there in high school. And she actually was a, a brilliant, brilliant, I mean, uh, math nerd. There's just no other way to say it. She ended up uh, going to college uh, as, a, as a math major, uh, obviously at a high level, ended up working for NASA. I think she got her first job in Houston. And then that's where she met her husband. They ended up being shipped up to the Northeast, working for a, a NASA facility up there. And I am in Boston, and they had been seeing, hearing, and reading the articles that I was writing about Y2K. And they thought that I had lost my mind. So these are, these are scientists, math people, with no, um, as they say, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's, what's the analogy I'm looking for here, Dan? You know, they, they, they had nothing to gain by jumping on the conspiratorial bag, bandwagon about Y2K. No benefit. So, no benefit. Right. Yeah. So her husband, she couldn't be there that day. I've never met him, but he felt it important enough to come out to my engagement and meet me. And he did. He came out, sat through my meeting, heard my lecture. And then at the end of that session, we uh, went and grabbed uh, a bite to eat, and he told me, looked me right in the eyes, and he said, listen, I'm the guy who designed the chips in those satellites. They don't care what the date is. They're not going to fall out of the sky. And he was right. <laughs> we woke up the I stayed up till midnight that night. I did the too. Television stayed on. My cell phone kept working. My computer operated just perfectly. And the next morning, we we arose to hear of no signs or any news reports of all of the airplanes that fell out of the sky. He was absolutely correct. So in this, and I said all of that to say, now let's go to the balloon thing, <laughs> and now we have something to talk about because if you put the politics aside. And you sweep all of the the um, uh, conspiracy conspiracy theories to the side, and, and you know, and it's fun to conjecture about the military aspects of this. But let's go straight to the science. And here's what we know: if you go straight to the scientists, they told us, or they're telling us, that this that when the Chinese said that it was just a weather balloon that got away, that's a lie. 
it's too big for a weather blend, much too large by like three times, five times too, too big for a weather blend. Uh, also its capability had its to basically take that balloon far out and beyond our typical weather situations that they might want to analyze. So that's the first thing. So we know that they're lying about that. And then we also know that the most likely scenario is because of its path and the fact that it got caught in the upper stratosphere um, uh, wind that of uh, the winter trajectory of, of the um, um, uh, wind currents up there that high jet stream that most jet stream that most likely the Chinese had lost control of the balloon. And because that particular balloon had both steering altitude adjusting capabilities, as well as the ability to stop and hover, even in uh, a significant amount of wind and stop and then hover over a particular target site that for better resolution uh, photography. So what ended up happening based on the trajectory of the way it moved in, the scientists actually believe that the Chinese not only lost their navigational control of the balloon, but they also lost their ability to terminate the balloon, which they said would have had probably at least a couple of redundancies for that termination. That's something that they would like to have blown up themselves, probably out over the Pacific before it entered into Alaska and, and sunk it, you know, in the, in the, uh, the deep waters out there. So the most likely scenario is that, as I said, they just lost control. Their termination mechanisms failed. And as we also always know, that communists are, are rather loath to admit when they have a failure of that magnitude. And so the bottom line is, is that I, and I, hate, to, I hate to take everyone's tinfoil hat off. You're, but what, you hate to bust a balloon. You, you hate to, yeah, bust, hate a to balloon. bust a balloon. <laughs> And, and the other aspect of this is that had this been a mission, an actual mission to come over here and to take photography of our, you know, our most secret installations up in Montana and elsewhere above our nuclear uh, missile silos or whatever the case may be, is that that mission would have been better served in the summer because they have much less ability to control that in those winter uh, winds. Yeah. And then also in the summer, they can take it up higher because of temperature aspects. They would be able to take it up higher outside of the naked eye ability of some guy looking out his office window in Billings, Montana, and running out and grabbing his camera out of the back of his car and taking a picture. Now the whole world knows about this balloon. My thoughts. This point being. My thoughts. Yes. My thoughts are it got out of hand and Xi Jinping, you know, he's one of Joe Biden's best friends. They, they, well, you know, they, they, <laughs> they, uh, shared millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm joking, yeah. of course, but let me ask you that he's the president of the United States. You don't think he called Xi Jinping when this happened and said, Hey, what the heck is going on with this? If you don't believe that conversation took place, you're an idiot. I guarantee you it did. Why, in that scenario, 
Why would Biden not eliminate it? Well, I I just think that they they knew that our own military, uh, nor well, of course, hey, look. The fact that it even crossed into our territory and we didn't know about it ostensibly until it crossed over Billings, Montana, is um, is laughable on its face. Absolutely, that's the entire that's the entire purpose of NORAD. Yes, they know everything that's flying above our territory, and and that includes all the way up into the upper atmosphere and into outer space. They know they're tracking it all, so they did not miss this balloon. So they knew about it far in advance, whether that conversation happened between um, uh, Biden and and, uh, Chairman Z, I'm not. The point is, is that at the very highest level, somebody was talking to one another and they knew that this was an out of control flight. And then it was just a matter of the ineptitude being shown, the, the, the incompetence of this administration being revealed once again before they finally decided what they were going to do. And somewhere, some point in the week or so that they do about this balloon, they determined exactly where they were going to shoot it down and how. how. And then Biden would go out, of course, and uh, do a victory lap uh, that, you know, he, he took, gave the order, took it down, blah, blah, blah. But I don't, I don't think that they had any I don't think that they had any real concerns about this balloon from early on. I, I, they, they not only would have known of its presence, but they would have known that it would had already lost operational control or that the Chinese had lost operational control. Great thoughts. Absolutely. Great thoughts. Mine. I learned, uh, a long time ago in business. I learned when somebody is screaming, jumping up and down about something and they're trying to make it be a big deal. The truth is probably going on in their other hand they have behind their back. So when this came up in the last few days, the first thing I started doing was I went to the ground. I want to find out what the heck is going on around us that they're up there waving and screaming about this freaking balloon instead of paying attention (laughs) to whatever serious is going on. I got to be honest with you. There's a bunch of stuff happening in D.C. right now that none of us are hearing about or seeing. I know that for a fact. And it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And they know it's going to leak out because that's what happens in D.C. And before the American people see it or hear about it, they want to have something in place to be able to counter whatever comes up. It's just not an accident. Biden's doing a State of the Union address tonight. I'm sure, as you said, he'll be all jazzed up and they'll do everything they can to keep him on the teleprompter and not say anything outside of it. But that's not the big things that are going on. I think we don't know yet what that big thing is that they're screaming and hollering to cover up. Buddy, listen, be careful up there. I mean, be smart. I will. Be smart, Steve. Think everything. You're a thinker anyway. Think everything through before you make a movement because you know what? You're on the radar screen. We all know that. And uh, they haven't started firing at you yet, but at the flip of a coin, they could do just that. And I don't I don't want you to uh, disappear. <laughs> I don't want you to get suicided either. <laughs> Well, that, that's right. Let's get the let's get the memes ready. You know, yeah. Steve Baker did not uh, suicide himself. Yeah. 
All right, buddy. Thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, if you get any hard concrete stuff before next Tuesday, please give me a call and we can talk about it offline. I will do. Hey, thanks, Dan. Have a great one. Steve Baker, our journalist of investigation. <laughs> we we own him. He's got great perspective. Isn't it strange that if you're on the ground when stuff is happening somewhere, you're there. You see it. You watch it. You get a clearer picture than we do when it shows up on the news a couple of days later. Think about that. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... (sighs) My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. (coughs) I cough all the time. Seriously? (sighs) I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. Here's a thought. This just crossed my mind. Do you think Joe Biden's going to say anything about the balloon tonight in the State of Union address? <laughs> uh, I think he wanted to be out on front. You know, he loves to talk about anything and everything. And his handlers wouldn't let him go out and talk about this balloon thing because they knew it was going to look bad for the administration. There was no win-win simply because they didn't do something about it immediately. They let it just float around or above the United States. You can speculate about anything and everything you want to in that regard, but the facts are they did nothing, and uh, it's too late to go back and resurrect the, that that fact and fix it. It's just too late. So here are some of my thoughts. You know, the Chinese people, it's pretty bold for them to fly that spy balloon through our airspace And the fact that they were so bold, it struck a chord with me. They weren't afraid. They knew Joe Biden wouldn't get mad, wouldn't get angry, and even contemplate doing something in retrospect. This sends the exactly wrong message to the American people and the world for that matter, that China thought that it could fly a surveillance balloon into our airspace. It tells you all you need to know about what Xi Jinping in Beijing thinks about America's resolve and where it seeks itself on the international stage. None of this is good for us today and even in the future. China would never have taken this provocative act 
if it thought there were real risks or would be serious consequences. Well, let's just suppose it was benign. It was one that got away. Still, China should have picked up the phone and may have, and we haven't been told, and called the White House and said, Mr. President, we're sorry. Here's what's going on. Violating our airspace. It's not the same as sailing a spy ship in international waters, which the Russians were recently found to be doing off the coast of Hawaii. It's an order of magnitude even bolder. It's the violation of our territorial integrity and one that should not be tolerated. It's not okay. But apparently, the White House has tolerated it now for a full week and at least three times during the Trump administration, according to some reports, and those reports have been debunked. President Xi Jinping wants to claim what he sees as China's rightful place as world leader in everything, every area. To do that, that means undermining our position in global leadership and working to strengthen its own armed forces and deploy them further out there, make sure everybody in the world sees and knows how big and powerful they are. China today, we know this, is working to modernize its nuclear arsenal. They're developing and plan to deploy next-generation weapons, expand its navy, and secure Chinese military bases around the world, which they're doing. They're in South America now. The risk of us getting in a conflict with Beijing, listen closely, those risks are real. And rather than reduce the risk from a position of power and strength, like we in past administrations have done, successive White Houses have shown weakness toward China by acting, if at all, only belatedly, allowing these balloons to cross our country's territory is a sign of weakness. I don't care if it was just a weather balloon that got loose. And it's one that allows Beijing incredible opportunities to gather intelligence and map our capabilities and to test the resolve of our president. Who knows how much sensitive information was transmitted to Beijing and is now being meticulously sifted through by the Chinese Communist Party. And don't say that couldn't happen. Don't say it absolutely didn't happen. You do remember Trenton, New Jersey, their police force there a couple of years ago, they put an order for a a whole fleet of drones they were going to use in traffic stuff in their cities. And they got it, and they did. The drones were manufactured in China. And after they were put in service in Trenton, they found out that every picture that was transmitted from those those drones Every one of those, it was going to the Trenton Police Headquarters, but it was also going to Beijing, China. Don't forget about that. The way we handled this crisis and the way we're handling our relationship with China at large should concern us all. It's been neither decisive nor purposefully restrained, but some hodgepodge of idleness panic, indecisiveness, and confused signally, and all of that demonstrated nothing more than how poor our country decision-making is toward Beijing right now. 
where there should have been decisive action. There was a benign delayed downing of this most recent balloon and only after the country's rightful outrage was registered. It was like somebody, they walked out on the balcony at the White House and licked their finger and stuck it up in the air and said, Mr. President, America's people are getting hot about this. We got to do something. Where the country should have been reassured by the White House, it got a jumble of a bunch of mixed messaging and dithering. No facts, no encouragement, nothing was given to the American people that made us feel better about what was going on. It's difficult not to believe that Biden would have taken no action at all had we the people not been made aware of this balloon. Downing it should have been the president's first action, not something he dithered on on doing. If he had taken it down sooner, would have sent a signal to all of us, and more importantly, to Xi Jinping in China. The message, such behavior will not be tolerated, and we will take decisive action anytime this or something like it happens going forward. You remember they canceled Secretary of State Blinken's visit to Beijing? That wasn't decisive. That wasn't purposeful. And they should do nothing regarding China without thinking it through, bringing in experts, and even a thing like canceling a trip that was scheduled for our Secretary of State go and meet with their people at his level, canceling that trip, it was stupid. That was the bare minimum expected of the White House, something China almost certainly anticipated, it did nothing to them. If this is how our president handles a surveillance balloon, (laughs) I shudder to think what will happen when a real crisis with China shows up. How would this White House have handled the 2001 collision of a Chinese fighter jet with that American surveillance aircraft, which was in international airspace, what do you think Biden would have done? How would the White House manage the 1995-96 third Taiwan Straits crisis? How might Biden deal with the Chinese invasion of Taiwan? It's imminent. If the balloon is anything to go off of, not well. Not well at all. America needs to project strength at home and abroad. At home, our president needs to reassure us all that the White House, Department of Defense, and every element of our federal government are prepared to defend the homeland. We didn't get that on Balloon Gate. That didn't happen. And it hasn't happened yet. There are a lot of Americans that are going to tune in tonight to the State of Union address, and they're looking from some, give us some reassurance about the readiness about our abilities to protect our nation, our people. A balloon is most certainly not a bomber, but to Americans, both of them are threats. And if one can get through our airspace, what's to say the other can't do the same thing? The Biden administration should use this crisis as a call for the country to realize the challenge that China faces to rally the country and focus its attention. The threat that China represents is not just balloons. 
It's TikTok, and it's widespread data collection on all of us. It's happening every day. I have a close friend who works in an intelligence agency, and he is hooked directly into monitoring TikTok for the government. Let me just say this about it, and I'll shut up about TikTok. Everything your kid does on TikTok and every person that opens it, each of those is a door into every piece of data on whatever that electronic device is. And their hard drives, if it's connected to their computers, they can access everything. You need to think about that if your kids are doing it, if you're doing it. What do we need to know about China? about its bullying of its neighbors, threatening all of our allies. It's the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to dominate international institutions and ensure policies that favor its authoritarian regime and convince people around the world that they're an advanced nation. It's the country's manipulation of supply chains, ambitions to ensure that made in China is our only option The American people, we all need to understand just how big a threat China is and that our country needs leadership to stand up to it. I doubt we're going to hear anything like that tonight. We're running out of time. I had a whole lot of other things to bring to you. Before we get away, I, I, I looked in last night on something funny in exchange between South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham and Jesse Waters on Balloon Gate. Here they are as a pair. And listen to Senator Graham's explanation and his thoughts. Let's turn it over to South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. So, Senator, they popped this sucker right off of your state's coastline. Are you not in a wetsuit out there trying to recover the tech? I'm not so sure. It might have been some Bubba shot it down. But, you know, the show is really good tonight because is the Pentagon playing politics? If we've had Chinese spy balloons come across America in the past and they didn't tell the President Trump, then that's a sort of a political decision. I don't believe for one moment they would have shot this balloon down unless somebody saw it over Montana. And you make a great argument. If you think it's spying on America, this balloon, why wouldn't you shoot it down over Alaska? They waited to get to Surfside Beach, South Carolina, then they shot it down. I think the only reason they shot it down is because of the public pressure. And uh, there are a lot of questions to be asked here. Did you get briefed as a member of the Senate ever on Chinese spy balloons? <laughs> First off, one, I'd like to know, hey, we're going to shoot it down over your state. Do you mind? Did the no one you know, call you? Like to- <laughs> no, I, I watched it on Fox. Thanks God, you know, y'all had the exclusive video. No, this is, this is screwed up at multiple levels. So, yeah, I want to know. I want to know, uh, why didn't we know about previous Chinese spy balloons going across the country? Who in the Pentagon failed to inform President Trump? I don't believe for one moment they were going to shoot this balloon down uh, until public pressure mounted. But this is Joe Biden in two buckets, and both of them are bad buckets. Indecisive Joe Biden. You know uh, Putin's going to invade Ukraine for weeks, if not months, You don't arm the Ukrainians. You don't put sanctions on to deter a war you maybe could have deterred. Indecision, right? Uh, Then the border, you know, decision, decisive Biden. You repeal all the policies 
of Donald Trump, even though they tell you it's going to lead to an invasion. Uh, you pull out of Afghanistan, decisive Biden, even though everybody tells you it's going to create a new 9-11 event for the United States, potentially. And the balloon is indecisive Biden. Whether he's decisive or indecisive, he always screws up. Biden says he's protected the country from them sucking up all of our secrets. <laughs> Do you know about a switch, Senator, that we just hit on and off? It just kind of like throws Listen, a blanket over our secrets. I, I don't know crap about balloons, but I've got common sense that if the Chinese have got a balloon with a, you know, three tractor trailers hitched to it, they're up to no good. All right. And why would you let them go all the way to South Carolina? This makes no sense. It doesn't pass the smell test. And this is dangerous. And it sends all the wrong signals at the wrong time. Well, they, you know, out of courtesy, they should have called you to say they were going to shoot that sucker down off of your state. I mean, that is just poor manners. <laughs> I would have liked to know. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah you might have been out manners. there with a lawn chair. Thank you very much, Senator. <laughs> yeah, I could have been there. <laughs> I'll Thanks. see you later. Right, yeah, that would be like a, a moonshot. Uh, my mother took our two young daughters when they were real little, and they went and watched one of the space launches uh, down in Florida. It's a really big event. Lindsay could have gone out there with a cold beverage and maybe a cigar and sat on the beach and watch it come down. There are far more important things than that. We may and probably won't ever know the truth of it all, just like the stuff that Steve Baker brings here. It's all happening. It all happened. And we'll probably never know the details about all of it. That is amazing. It's really tough to deal with. Um, I got to be honest with you. I, I just can't imagine how much we don't know about what's going on and what has been going on in our government. Gosh, time is flying. I've got one more thing I want to talk to you about, and it's Hunter Biden. I'm trying to think, should we do it now or wait till tomorrow? I think it's something pretty important. So we're going to take this real short break. And when we come back, Hunter is weaponizing himself. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola drink up dear daddy dear mom i love you i miss you every year snowball express honors the children of fallen soldiers hi everybody i'm tony orlando join me in proudly supporting snowball express a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes we can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. So the Hunter story will just not go away. We all know there's some there there, and we're getting it in little bits and pieces. Investigation is ongoing, especially now that the House is controlled by the Republicans. And guess what Hunter is doing? He's about to create 
a legal defense fund because he's anticipating a big legal fight and he needs to cover the charges of his high-powered attorneys. Guess how much it's estimated they're going to cost Hunter Biden? $100,000 a month. Now, today it's unknown who's going to run the fund and what types of parameters or confidentiality or rules would be adopted by it to avoid compromising Hunter's daddy. Now, this is coming out of the Washington Post. They say it, it's unclear if foreign money would be accepted by the fund. Well, he could just transfer some money out of his previous Chinese fund <laughs> over to his legal defense uh, 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 <laughs> his legal defense expenses. Hunter's hired four top-notch lawyers to defend him against the charges that are pending, first of all, of tax fraud, gun violations, which we know the details of those, and those are real and they're factual, but add to that nine congressional probes into potential violations, including wire fraud. His high-powered attorneys could be costing him more than a hundred grand a month. They're a formidable front against congressional staffers and public servants. His lawyers are lead attorney Kevin Morris, a high-profile entertainment lawyer, Abby Lowell, who you've heard about, who represents high-profile individuals engulfed in political scandals, along with Chris Clark and Joshua Levi. All of these guys are big deal and big time. Hunter is ready for what he thinks is imminently about to happen. His house is falling down. Why is it falling down? Because a life of quid pro quo has caught up with him. On that note, I'm going to say, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. i